Welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion. So come on with me and let's do this. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another week of quirky, creative, fun conversations. Really quick before we get into the juice of today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to another podcast out there. It's called The Wise Consumer, and the woman who started it and hosts it, Madeline Wisecup, just so happens to be a friend from college, Maddie Wisecup. She's doing really great things. So I wanted to show her support and tell you guys that if you like the Keep It Quirky podcast, I think you would also like The Wise Consumer. It's all about helping everyone become a wiser, healthier, and more sustainable consumer. It's not preachy. It's super interesting. I have been really inspired by learning about the businesses and the paths of the people that she interviews. For instance, this guy named Dan Kurzrock, he's the co-founder of a company called Regrained. This company upcycles the nutritious grains that's a byproduct of brewing beer, and they turn it into a delicious snack bar. So what was food waste is now a yummy fueling snack. It's kind of ingenious, right? Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts and check her out on Instagram at The Wise Consumer. So now to today's guest. Australian Liz Schaefer moved to London eight years ago to be a writer. And in this interview, we dig into all of the ways that Liz has actualized that goal, namely by creating her own travel indie magazine called Lodestar's Anthology, which publishes twice a year, now with 11 issues out. The newest issue, Portugal, is about to be released. Creativity and, you know, writing, photography, anything like that, it is constantly discovering new things and trying new ways of, of making and seeing what works. It's never, it's never still. I really feel like her career is the perfect example of how an entrepreneur weaves together a creative side with a business side. Liz is just great. I really enjoyed talking with her. And I loved the part of our chat about imposter syndrome because it has really redefined how I think of imposter syndrome. So you will want to stick around to hear that. And I bring in a cameo from podcaster Lori Martinez for that part too. So without further delay, let's meet Liz Schaefer, editorial and creative director of Lodestar's Anthology. Hi, Liz. Hi. Hey, how's it going? It's great. Loving recording in a closet. <laughs> Thank you for coming over to my flat slash closet. The flat is heavenly, just for the record. <laughs> I, I, I live here now. It's yeah, just... Yeah. You're welcome to. You can... you. This closet can be yours. Don't say that. I will not leave. <laughs> so, Liz, you founded and you write for and you do a lot of things for Lodestar's anthology. I do. I do. It was a magazine that I brought into the world nearly five years ago now, which is terrifying because I used to think I was all sort of young and ingenuity. And I'm like, no, no, I'm a staple of the industry. Great. Um, <laughs> how does that very faint, doesn't it, when you say it like that? How hey. does that feel? Because you're young. I, I think I don't know, but I think we're about the same age. So for you to feel you're giving me eyes. Anyway, let's leave it there. <laughs> so how does it feel, though, to feel like, all right, I've been around. People know me. People know my my publication. I'd love more people to know the publication. It's it's interesting, though, as much as I've been here 
for a while now, each issue is like starting again. And while there is overlap in planning and it takes about a year to make an issue, there's always a moment between one going to print and coming out and the next one properly starting where you're like, how do you make a magazine? Like, yeah. who do I speak to about this? Because yeah. I'm not entirely sure. So it's not like it's sort of a five-year journey. It's sort of a 10-issue journey that's compartmentalized rather than isolate. Right. And so you have done 10 issues now. And Pathways, the book? So we did a book last two years ago now, goodness. And we did last year a re-release of our first issue, which was almost entirely new, but certainly sort of paid homage to what we did. So I, I really want to hear more about how it began because it is such a positive force it is about exploration and beauty and and like stoking people's curiosity was that kind of like the center of what you had in mind or or did you just say i want to do a travel magazine and did it kind of end there it's really it's so lovely to hear you say that because i think you make a magazine or you do some writing or you make design choices and you want to sort of inspire a certain feeling and you never entirely know if that's going to be picked up. So every time I hear that that is something that people feel about the magazine, it's wonderful. Because and so you, people have said that to you. So yeah, it's getting across well. That's it's what interesting. That means. <laughs> so at first everyone's like, oh, you're a bit rose tinted, are you? And I sort of I felt a bit guilty that we'd done that. Like, I wondered if it was the wrong thing to do. I'm now like, you know what? Own own the roast tintedness. There is nothing wrong with seeking beauty and positivity in the world. In fact, it's the least the least we can do when things are a bit dark and gloomy and uncertain. But also again, it's the stories that we get to put into it. It's firstly the contributors and they are so passionate and so inspiring and the reason I've been able to keep going because a small business is hard. There are so many reasons and times that you want to walk away, but then you sort of meet these people who sort of share this creative passion and this way of seeing the world. You're like, oh no, 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 this is this is this is fine. This is universal. I need to share these stories. But it's also what we get to experience on the ground. I mean, travel is such it's such a privilege to be able to do it. I know how fortunate I am. Because it, it just it reminds you what's out there. It reminds you of the food, it reminds you of the creatives, it reminds you of the history and the stories. And, you know, we're here for a short time. Go and discover, basically. And I think that wasn't necessarily the intention. The intention was to tell longer travel stories. It was to give a country space rather than eight pages. And I think by giving the country space, that's where the positivity comes from. If you give something, you know, if you tell a story over time, it tends to be a good one. Mm-hmm. And an assumed part of this, which if our listeners don't know, um, Every issue features one country. So it's like you are visiting, sit down, make yourself comfortable, get to know India or France or, you know, all of these different places. Like an early catchphrase was scrapbook of place. And it was just meant to be different stories, different vignettes, different images to give you a sense of what that country is about, to give you a sense of how we felt on the ground and mean, you know, sort of mean that when you got there, you had an idea of what the country was about, what to look out for, what to ask about. Let's rewind and take us back to when it was still like just this kind of idea in your head. What made you decide to go after it? And like, did you like vision board? I mean, how did you make the thoughts you had come to reality? fuzzy memories. (laughs) I think the one piece of advice I would have is if you have an idea, tell enough people because eventually people will start asking you, 
how it's going and where you are. And then you really do have to make something because you can't keep answering, oh, I'm just, you know, thinking still. So I think I'd been a freelance writer and photographer and I'd been slightly frustrated by some of the stories I'd been given, which is, you know, I was 24 at the time. So clearly wasn't been given the most amazing stories because I was very new and still learning. But um, I just wanted to give something space. And then I didn't know why there wasn't an indie out there that was doing that yet for, with a single country. So I started telling some friends and then they started asking questions. But then I also had the panic that what if someone else takes this idea? I want to be the one to put this into the world. And that sort of fear of losing that moment, losing that momentum is also a really big drive to create something. Fear can be the ultimate motivator. Fear is vital. I always said the minute I'm stopped waking up and being a little bit scared about what I have to do that day, that means that the passion's gone. How boring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be lovely to sort yeah. of wake up and be relaxed and, you know. I know, but we're... We're entrepreneurs. F- fear is fuel. Fear is fuel. Fear is fuel for us. By the way, how do you define yourself? What's the title you give yourself? I mean, you would call yourself an entrepreneur, I take it. Um, it's funny you ask. I remember making the first issue and that was one of the things I had to Google, like type in what I thought I was doing and be, what is this role? So settled on editorial and creative director, but I just... My title changes. Yeah. With, so, so what does that mean? What do you do? How much of Lodestar's anthology each issue is basically Liz Schaefer? Obviously, it's a team effort because you have all these contributors, which you've already mentioned and spoken very highly of, but the nuts and bolts of it. It's, I have, gosh, that's really interesting. When you sit down, I have to think about what you actually do. Um, so all the commissioning is me. Um, the art direction is me. I have an amazing designer who's been with me since the first issue. And I, I remember so vividly going for a coffee in a pub with him and sort of mentioning that I had this idea and seeing if he was interested. And he said, yeah, he could definitely do this. And I just remember leaving that pub and getting the tube home. And it, I managed to keep it together on the entire journey, got out of the tube station and just burst into tears. Oh, my God. Because suddenly... I could do this. I had someone who had the skills that I didn't have, who was passionate and was willing to do it with me. So he's called Tommy Harrison and he's one of the best humans I know and he makes Lodestars look that good. Okay, so Tommy, great job, man. Yeah, he's still with us. He's still doing his thing. He's brilliant. He deals with very weird emails and, you know, late night ideas that he's very good at being like, yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Think about it. Um, And then, you know, it's sort of building the relationships with the places that we're featuring, with the contributors. It's doing a lot of the editing when the pieces come in. It's doing the promotion. I mean, I think any small business, it's really hard to define your role because it changes based on what's needed. Yeah. So it's the creative side and the business side and whatever else is thrown at you, really. And and you are an active writer for all of the issues, too. I mean, you you know, a handful of the pieces are you you wrote them. Writing is a license to travel. Yes, I'm never giving that up. I love that. So writing is what brought you to the idea of starting Lowe's Stars Anthology because you were a freelance writer. Yeah, writing and photography was what I knew. And photography, right. Okay. So the business, the design, the promotion, that's what I've learned. How, what was that learning curve like? How did you, did you pick up like a, you know, indie magazine for dummies book or? I wish there was one. (laughs) Um, I think I was just obsessed with the indie world. I mean, just to contextualize, I am an Australian. I came to London nearly eight years ago, because for me, you know, having done a journalism degree back home, this was where print 
was not struggling. It was still a thing. It was still respected. It still had a future. And so I spent my first couple of years here freelancing and writing for magazines here and back home. And I kept seeing this trend. Magazines would come out and everybody was telling me that print was dying. But these ones weren't. And they were different because they were beautiful and they had given space to their stories and there was a focus on design and white space wasn't scary and long sentences weren't frowned upon. And they just kept coming out. So there was this feeling at the time that I made it, sort of back in 2014, that you could make a magazine and also you could learn on the job. I think the definitions changed slightly, but sort of back then the definition of independent was a one or two person team. And to be a one or two person team, you have to learn on the job. I'm glad that you brought in the context of that you're, you are also an expat here in London, you and I both, although from very different parts of the world, sides of the world. Um, how do you feel like being an Australian has informed your business decisions in London? Because I imagine, you know, it, it was just that more, much more of a hurdle. Is that I true? Gosh, if anything, I think it was sort of a license to try things and take a risk because I think as an expat, you're never entirely sure how long you're going to be here for. So it, I think that sort of contributed to the do or die mentality. It's like, how long will I have London at my disposal, this network that you can have here? If I didn't do it now, then perhaps I'd go back to Australia. Perhaps I'd have to be starting again and that would just delay everything by more time. So I think... I think being away from home, it is, it's an excuse to take a risk. But perhaps if I'd stayed in Australia, it's the same thing. I would have felt it was only possible there. But I don't know. That's my roasting to take on it. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I'm curious about your creative side and how you fuel that. I mean, like we already said, that is what brought you to create what you have created. This is the creative. This is so. I'm, I'm following. I'm following. <laughs> yeah. This makes sense. So basically, the business side was the learning curve, but a very necessary part of making this happen. But the creative side, I'm wondering how you get unstuck when that happens, because even like the most creative geniuses among us, it's it's hard to continue issue after issue, article after article. It, oh gosh, it is interesting. I mean, I'm so lucky that I work and travel. I think that just, you know, adventure and exploration just feeds the desire to create because it's not, this is, oh, this is, this is difficult to word. It's not a chance for you to flaunt your writing, to share your original ideas. It's a chance for you to tell stories and share the words and works of others in travel writing is what, what I feel. So you know, it's it's wonderful that when we start an issue, we start an issue with travel because that just gets everything going again. But, you know, it, it always goes back to the contributors as well. It's when you get this work, when you have these conversations about why you're there, what you want to do, you just feel so connected and so inspired by what they're doing that it's, you just, you constantly look for food for thought, basically. And, you know, I said that sort of business was the stuff that I had to learn, creativity and, you know, writing, photography, anything like that. It is constantly discovering new things and trying new ways of, of making and seeing what works. It's never, it's never still. Mm -hmm. So what do you do when, what do you do when you don't feel inspired? I spend a day paying invoices. <laughs> There's <laughs> and, always something to do. And that's where it works, having the different hats. It does. I mean, I don't know if I could have gone on this long, purely being a writer. You probably need to, to break it up. But you know, there, there are days or weeks where you're just 
not certain if you've done the right thing, not certain if a more conventional job would have been better for you, not certain if you're good enough. And it, it, it's constant and it's a cycle. And I was thinking we were saying downstairs that I wish I kept a journal because I think one of the most fascinating things for me is where you are mentally in the creative process. I think it's just accepting that some days are going to be hard and some days are going to be blissful and you have to get through those days or those periods as they happen. And if you need to step away for a week, if you need to write for somebody else or do some copywriting or take some photos, do that. I think that's the one thing about freelancing. And I'm actually really thrilled that more and more people are beginning to talk about the realities of freelancing and the realities of creative life. It's not all making and fun it is it's hard work it's work yes yeah, it's work and you you push through and you challenge yourself and you talk about it with other people when it's good or when it's bad you just talk about your experiences and let people know what you're feeling because they might be feeling it too especially for a long time starting out as a writer I thought those insecurities that I was feeling those nervousness those you know irrational fears were purely me and I thought that maybe it was because I wasn't cut out for that world. And it's only sort of when you've been in for a while and you get the confidence to talk to other people doing what you're doing that you realize, no, everyone's terrified of failure. Mm-hmm. Everybody has that moment of like, I'm not meant to be here, sort of imposter syndrome. And I just wish starting out sort of all those years ago, I'd known that. I'd known that it wasn't all amazingness. There were challenges. So I think if I was to do a podcast, it would be a look at the realities of creativity. And, you know, of course, the positivity of it, because that is the biggest incentive to get into this world. But just, you know, the different stories and the idea that we are together in it. Absolutely. I mean, that is a huge motivating factor for why I started this podcast. A, because I love podcasts as a medium. They let me dive into things that I could never dive into on my YouTube channel. And it is about uncovering, like, here's what everyone goes through. And that's that's so true with podcasts as well. I think more than any other medium, especially at the moment, because there is sort of this big explosion in them, is people are so candid when they're on a podcast in a way that I just haven't experienced in other modes of interviews. It's It's cool. It's that combination of like, this will be edited, but also it's kind of live. I want to go back and latch on to your mention of imposter syndrome, because I, I think it is a fascinating topic to discuss because I think everyone feels it. Yeah, it's it's a very peculiar beast because everybody is united by this feeling of not quite being enough. Yeah. But not enough people talk about it. Not enough people talk about it. And the thing is, even if you do talk about it, it's still there. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to fix it, but... Exactly, exactly. What do you want your two cents, your, your Liz Shaver two cents My- about imposter syndrome to be? You may have already said it, but... <laughs> uh, I. It's tricky. I almost want to say embrace it. I mean, kind of see the positivity in it in a way. Like you're feeling this imposter syndrome because you've actually achieved something. You've gotten to a place. You've created something. You're in the world in a certain role. And just because you don't feel like that's enough, enough people outside of you think you're allowed to be there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's very hard to sort of latch onto that when you're feeling that sort of extreme version of it but yeah no I think that is you know if you can't believe in yourself in that moment see how others might see you yeah I like it embrace imposter syndrome 
I'm going to interrupt this conversation with Liz really quickly to support this stance of hers that perhaps embracing imposter syndrome is the best way to deal with it. For just a couple of minutes, let me take you with me to Paris, France, where I met up with podcaster extraordinaire Lori Martinez. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning here in Paris. I am sitting at a place called Paris London, <laughs> Place de Madeleine, with Laurie Martinez. Hello, Laurie. Hello. It's funny, we're two New Yorkers in a cafe in Paris that's called Paris London, and you also live in London. As a young, driven, talented, successful woman doing your thing here, what we were just talking about and what we both feel too much of the time is this thing called imposter syndrome. And you were just sharing with me a conversation you had about imposter syndrome that made you feel better. So I'm wondering if you will share it with my audience. Yeah, and I, I really, it really touched me when I had this conversation yesterday. So I basically have um, the woman who taught me French and the reason I'm in Paris, uh, this woman, she's a phonetics professor that I admire so much and I always looked up to her. And so when she came to visit and I explained, you know, what I'm doing all these projects and, but I feel imposter syndrome and I'm young and so I'm always going to have this question. So I wanted to ask her, you know, how do you feel about imposter syndrome? Like, does it ever go away? And so she said, well, it's funny that you asked me that because I just asked someone else this question. Someone who is 20 years older than me, who is about to retire. I also admired her very much. She is a published author. She's won a lot of awards. And um, I asked her this at her retirement party. You know, what advice would you give to a young woman who has imposter syndrome? And she said, it never goes away. And so, so at first I, I was like disappointed. I was like, "Oh no, this is—it's never gonna—it's never gonna end." Um, and then she said something that really spoke to me. And she said, "Well, yeah, it never goes away." And, you know, there's one thing to be a young woman. You're always going to have this feeling because this is a man's world. But the other thing is, uh, if you think about it, it's really good to have this kind of feeling where you're questioning yourself. So you don't get a big head and you're, you know, you got some great projects, but, you know, always ask yourself, well, what can I do next? What can I do to be better? And, you know, it's a, it's a good way to check yourself a little bit. So imposter syndrome is actually not that much of a bad thing. And even though it's going to be with you for forever, kind of see it in a different way way to inspire you. Use imposter syndrome to your advantage. That is the takeaway. Lori, thanks so much for popping on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Au revoir. Au revoir. So if a successful woman at her retirement party is saying it, it's true. <laughs> and lastly, I want to throw in the example of Michelle Obama. She's a woman I so admire. And if you guys have not read her book, Becoming, I highly, highly recommend that you do. So Michelle recently came through London and spoke at a school to young women. And she said, let me quote, I still have a little bit of imposter syndrome. It doesn't go away. That feeling that you shouldn't take me seriously. What do I know? I share that with you because we all have doubts in our abilities about our power and what that power is. There is a leverage point in accepting that you feel that way and then making it work for you. Back to my conversation with Liz. I asked her how she sources the talent that she gets to write for each issue. How do you find your contributors or how do they Ooh. find you? <laughs> um... A lot of Instagram stalking. Instagram is an amazing tool for that. <laughs> uh, I think because we have quite a wide distribution, I think we're in 13 countries, we do get a lot of people picking up the magazine and 
I'm so thankful for this sort of recognizing what we're doing and liking the way that we do that and therefore wanting to work for us. So there, there are a lot of people reaching out. In a way, it's almost counterintuitive to me when I look at your magazine, it it feels almost like old timey to me in that it transports me to another place and to a time when technology wasn't always in front of our face, right? And that and when I am reading an issue, I put down my phone, I curl up on a chair, you know, maybe with a cup of tea, and and immerse in that, and that's so rare that it seems like it does not align, and I'm using air quotes here, you can't see, um, that it does not align with social media, that the social media world is fast-paced. It's interesting. I mean, I think social media for a long time, like print, got quite a bad rap. It's, you know, and it, it can be a dangerous space, but it's also this amazing world that you can curate for yourself. So, you know, the people that I follow on Instagram are amazing photographers, amazing writers who are just documenting the world. And that is so inspiring and so exciting. You sort of have this ability to make this space that you want to be part of. So I think it does have this amazing potential. It's how you use it. It's always how you use it. And I think, you know, if you put good vibes out, they come back maybe, I don't know. But I don't I don't think things should be dismissed because of their dangers. I think things should be used the best way they can. Yeah, wow, that's that's a that's a good way to look at social media. I also get serious FOMO looking at stuff too. So you know, well, yeah. no one's perfect, but <laughs> yeah, no one's perfect exactly. Yeah, but as long I think as long as we catch ourselves. Yeah, the two worlds, the world of print and the world of social media and online, they work really, really well in hand because it's one thing to make a printed product that is nice and smells nice and has this beautiful work inside it that the ability to sort of advertise and promote and connect through social media and the digital world is astounding. And you really do need to understand both. So is that is that you also, or do you have a social media intern? Oh, it's me. <laughs> yeah. um, I have a wonderful, a wonderful um, woman who works for me. She's sort of married to one of our photographers and has also written for the magazine. And she's just a whiz. She's made our website divine and she has this ability to sort of plan ahead and make newsletters that are wonderful. But um. No, I like the excuse to sort of stalk people on Instagram. So I do the social media. For some of the places that you highlight in the magazine, have you worked out something with them to like, you know, is that like native advertising? We'd never write or profile a place that we didn't believe in. So there's a lot of research that goes into what stories we want to tell, what places we want to focus on, which hotels, which chefs. But then we do have to approach them because we are a small business. We don't have a huge amount of money. So we we reach out to who we want to work with to find a way to do that together. They don't pay to be in there, but we don't necessarily pay for the travel. So I think that's fine. I think we're careful with what we do. And we've never come across a place that we didn't think after being there shouldn't make it to the magazine. We've been very lucky. But we also work very closely with the tourism boards of each country who we sort of explain what we want to do is we want to tell stories that don't normally make the media. We want to go to lesser explored areas. We want to find a different angle. So for the England magazine, for example, I don't think we actually have a story on London because London is so well covered in other publications. We don't need to add to that story. Instead, we go to the Lake District, we go to Northumberland, we go to the Isles of Scilly and we just see different surprising parts of England. 
And it's it's lovely that tourism boards understand that we want to do that. And, you know, they also are really keen to tell stories that might not make it out. Um, and, you know, the chefs that we profile, the hotels that we go to, they, they're obviously passionate about what they're doing and doing something different. It's so smart that you work with the tourism boards and work with these people and places like you do. I think that... Yeah, that makes total sense. But it's also knowledge. I mean, that's why we also work with every issue. We sort of pick up contributors who are on the ground in that country because as lucky as I am to go and spend like one month, two months in the places that we're profiling, that will never be enough to understand the nuances. So you really have to ask questions and invite those with knowledge in. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I love that as you discover, you get to share it and that discovering is actually a part of your job. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the biggest part it's of your job. It's the entire job. reason I do my job is I just want to learn and experience because, oh, there's so much out there. Is that ever going to get old for you, do you think? One of the questions I got early on was like, but what are you going to do when you run out of countries? And no, I don't I don't think so. There's, there's honestly no plan with it. I don't know when it's going to stop. I don't know if it's going to change shape. But at the moment, you know, that same passion that I had to begin with is still there. And it's almost more fun now. Once you've been around for a bit of time, once you're actually sort of have a back catalogue, you have more of a license to get more places and to ask more questions and to experience more. So now is just definitely the time to keep doing what we're doing and to bring new people in if we can. That's so great. So what's next for you? Um, more magazines. Yeah. So we're working now on Portugal, Switzerland, and we're about to start commissioning Mexico. Um, I try, so it, the issues come out every six months and I try just not to get overwhelmed by not planning too far ahead. So that sort of takes us to 2020. That, you know, the wonderful thing about, you know, anything creative is you don't quite know what's going to come at you. So the Pathways book that we did, December 2017, that was with um, New Heroes and Pioneers, which is a lovely sort of indie publishing company. And at the start of the year, I would have had no idea that we would bring a book out. But they found us, we chatted about some ideas and we had an idea that would work and that happened. And so it was, you know, the sort of those two weeks at the start of the year when I was just writing was really exciting because it was being reminded that... I don't necessarily know what November, the end of this year is going to look like. I don't know what we will have made. I don't know what we will be making. And that's wow. brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. It is brilliant. Also, I mean, you have to have the right attitude about it for it to be felt as brilliant. Yes. Well, I think, you know, the only other way of looking at it is being scared. And I don't really, really can't be bothered right now. <laughs> How do you keep it quirky, Liz? How do I keep it quirky? Oh, dear. I think by being a freelancer, you know, <laughs> a general lack of instability in my life, um, lack of stability. Wow. But I think that I think that freelancers need to keep it quirky more than most or anyone who's self-employed because it's so easy to feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. How do you kind of remind yourself that it's to have fun, that it's not all so, so serious? I think I'm so lucky in that the magazine does it for me in a very big way. It is it is the travel. It is the people you talk to. It's wanting to read other indie magazines to know what they're doing. It's wanting to have conversations with the people who buy the magazines, the people who stock the magazines. It's I'm so lucky that I am just constantly inspired by the world going on around Lodestars. And it's not the magazine itself. It's that entire indie creative writing, photographing world. It's astounding and I love it. I love engaging with it and I love not knowing what it's going to throw at you and I love responding to it. And 
It's just about surrounding yourself with stuff that makes you happy, essentially. It's watching trashy TV. It's, <laughs> you know, downloading all the podcasts because they're glorious things. It's engaging in conversations that way. It's reading. It's just making time to do something that makes you feel good when you can. And I think the fact that you have been so purposeful about the positivity of Lodestar's anthology, I think that you offer that for other people, that they can go to your content and your product to, to, to feel that way for themselves. I'd, I'd love it. I'd love if that what people took away from it because, oh, that would just be, that would be a divine. I would be remiss if I didn't have you define a lodestar. It is Polaris. It is the North Star. It is a model, guide, or inspiration in contemporary terms. But that star in sort of adventuring days past used to be what sailors used to guide themselves. So what is the metaphor that that you use as that being the name of your magazine? We want to point people in the right direction. Nice. Where can people find you? Well, the best place for us is our website. So that's www.loadstarsanthology.co.uk. Otherwise, Tate, Foils, Daunt, lovely bookshops around London. Liz, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. If it's your first time, I hope you liked it. Welcome to the Keep It Quirky podcast. Please subscribe if you dug it so that I show up in your feed every time I post a new episode. And all of you, please, if you have a couple minutes today, leave a review in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you listen. Those things make a big old difference. To check out more about Lodestar's anthology, to get yourself an issue, or to check out Maddie Wisecup's The Wise Consumer podcast or Lori Martinez's work, you you can check out the show notes. I've included links to all of those things there. As always, thanks to Funky Brian for the theme song, and I'll catch you all back here before too long. In the meantime, don't forget to keep it quirky. Keep it quirky.